When I look back on the first episode I did on alcohol in my sobriety, uh, I have to laugh at the absurdity of it. Not because it wasn't true, I very much believe in the facts and the message I had in that episode, but when I recorded it, I was only six months sober. I also feel the need to throw a disclaimer on that and make sure I tell you that I don't mean only six months to say that six months is easy, but more to think that I had some sort of authority on the matter is hilarious. Uh, My brother wrote a book after six months of sobriety, and I thought it was the silliest thing. Again, not because it isn't a good message, but because the clarity you find in sobriety, I I feel it only begins at six months. So while everyone should share their wisdom and experience because you never know who you'll help, uh, make sure you're able to look back with with humility and recognize how far you've come. Um, At this point in my life, I feel the opposite to be true as well. You know, some people have been sober for decades. And while that is amazing, uh, it feels so far removed sometimes, you know, and sometimes it feels scary too. Like when I listen to someone who's been sober for 20 plus years, talk about how each day is hard and it's one day at a time and sometimes one hour at a time, that's scary for me. Like, I begin to wonder if that's going to be my life. You know, I begin to remember those stupid Malibu recovery commercials. And the guy in the ad would always say, I used to be an addict, and now I'm not. And even even as a chronic user, uh, I was still the child of an alcoholic. And I would yell back at the TV, that's not how that works, moron. Like, once an addict, always an addict. And now, two years sober, I have to ask myself why I felt that way. You know, I think part of it is the societal messaging, but part of it was what I knew. You know, alcoholics are always alcoholics. That's what we're taught. It it was a radical idea to come out and say something like, no, no, I fixed that now. Like, you can't fix your DNA, man. I suppose it depends on how you look at it, though, because this is something I struggle with. You know, first of all, I never liked the alcoholic term as a brand for myself. Not only do I feel like I'm really stamping the I turned out like my father brand on my chest, But the psychological world is transitioning to alcohol use disorder anyway. And, you know, there's just, there's too much negative connotation with the term alcoholic. And it can literally scare people away from quitting drinking. But, but back to this idea that you can heal from this, you know, you can take those labels and toss them aside at some point. I have to believe that's true. I mean, sure, I adamantly disagreed with that most of my adult life and, and would literally yell that opinion to the TV. But I think now I I believe that, you know, I think I have to, first of all, I don't desire a drink. I haven't drank in over two years. And in that time, there has been a full bar of tequila, triple sec, Captain Morgan, Amaretto, Midori, and whatever else kind of mixer is sitting across from me. I'm looking at it literally right now. And I, I have only once thought about drinking it. And that was right around the time last the time, uh, last, last year, not last year, what happened to 2020, but the time I recorded the last alcohol episode and that was Christmas 2019. And we hosted both of our families over, um, for Christmas, my wife's family and my family and having all those people here, you know, it stressed me out and it, it was a coping mechanism that I knew I could use, but thankfully I, I did not. And that was, that's the only time that I felt, um, that, that trigger to drink, you know? not necessarily the trigger, but the, the desire, the real desire. But so while I believe there are certain addictive behaviors ingrained in us from our parents who also abused alcohol and substances, you know, like, uh, I also believe that the individual substances you use 
uh, come with a cause. You know, I believe that causes some sort of trauma, big or small. And I believe through therapy, you can begin to work through that and identify why you needed to drink or smoke weed or do blow or whatever your poison is. Like there is a reason you numb yourself, right? So while that addictive behavior is, is part of your DNA, because, you know, my, my dad was an alcoholic, uh, I'm going to struggle with addiction to some degree. My brother's going to struggle with addiction to some degree. It's like generational trauma, you know, like you got to fix that at some point. Otherwise each generation is going to struggle with it. And that's, that's, that's medically proven right there. You know, that's, that's biology, but there is a reason that you numb yourself. Uh, the reason is not in your DNA. You know, the reason you numb yourself obsessively and without control is most likely in your DNA, but that initial root cause probably is more present than that. You know, I'm starting this master's program soon and I will learn much more about this. And like all open-minded people, my views are subject to change and education, but for now, uh, I mean, this is what I think. And when I hear people that are still struggling with daily sober life after years of sobriety, I can confidently say that there is still something they're not dealing with. There's something in their past that they have not been honest with a therapist about, or possibly not found the right therapist. I'm not someone who has done my 12 step program or any 12 step program, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know that one step in that program is to create an inventory of experiences and then find what core value um, those experiences threatened or what fear that well, fear, I think is one of those things, but what was triggered, you know, by, by the, you know, Oh, I drank when my, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I drank when my mom yelled at me and that was because I was afraid of this. And so I'm not going to get into that, but, uh, I'd like to pull that list apart, you know, and dive into each one of those experiences and find more. I think that's the solution. Uh, People don't like to believe it, especially if they have issues with relinquishing control, but we lie to ourselves, man. We lie to ourselves all the time. And sometimes with hurtful memories or big thematic discoveries about our entire personalities, like we don't even know we're lying. And I'd like to share some of my own discoveries that I made in regards to what I'm talking about. Kind of get some clarification here in my own personal experience. Uh, my root cause discoveries. So... None of them happened because of sobriety, uh, but I believe none of them would have been possible without it. Uh, each realization and moment of growth I've had in, in like the last 18 months, the last year is like a little appliance in the house. I call my mind work with me on this metaphor. Okay. So <laughs> each realization and, and moment of growth I've had in the last year, it's like a little appliance in, in a house. And my mind is that house and my little self discoveries and moments of clarity are toasters and vacuums and blenders, all of them located within the house. I call my mind and the sobriety in this metaphor is the electricity. I can walk around in the daylight and look at that toaster on the counter and the vacuum in the living room, and I can see them there, but I don't know what they can do, what their use is until I'm able to turn on the electricity, flip the on switch and live better. I could really go down the rabbit hole of this analogy and talk about how I can like clean my mind now because my vacuum has power and my bread doubts are now confident and toasty, uh, but that would get derailed very quickly as it already has. So let's just stick with that basic outline. But all, all this is to say that I've done a lot of work on myself, come to a lot of realizations and breakthrough moments in the last year, none of which is directly attributed to sobriety, but none of which could exist without it. 
And I'm not going to go on a rant about how alcohol numbs you emotionally. I did that in the first alcohol episode. You can check that out. But that's the freedom I was given in my decision to quit drinking. Having those emotions come to the surface and allowing myself to feel things I hadn't felt since I was 17 years old was the reason behind me being able to grow the way I did, to find my root cause. What did alcohol give me? It gave me the ability to fit in. You know, as a broken child who absolutely needed a social life for survival, alcohol was that commonality between a lot of high school kids that I could take part in. I didn't have to be part of some team or club at school. I just needed to drink. Easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. When school was over, there were parties. People came to parties with alcohol. I was happy to provide, imbibe, and all around make sure that was something available to everybody, especially me. It helped me talk to girls, lessen stage fright, and find the courage to do stupid shit I wish I didn't have the courage to do. That wasn't the root cause, though. A lot of, a lot of people may think it is. A lot of people may listen to that part and think, yes, that was me. I was the same way. Social lubricant, right? Like, we hear it all the time. You could say you used it to fit in or to loosen up or gain acceptance. These are all so common and relatable. You may have heard them as much as I have. But that's not the root, though. When I go deeper and ask myself why I needed to have such a full social life and be around people so much, that's when you get to the hard stuff. That's the root. I needed it because I didn't like myself. I would argue that I fucking hated myself. My family was big on shame secrets, you know, stuff that happened that we just don't talk about. Looking back, like it's no wonder I never told anyone about my own sexual abuse. It was shameful, therefore it was secret. That was the formula. The shame combined with my brother's bullying, my parents' divorce, etc., etc., it all culminated in me truly hating myself. My social life kept me away from potential suicide that would have accompanied the feelings of absolute worthlessness. That's heavy. Add to that my discovery early on that jokes and music were two of my strong suits and I could get approval from people through that. I had a great formula. You know, that was why I drank. Not directly, but that was the root cause. My drinking was just a symptom of a symptom. Mix that in with the predetermined genetic DNA of an addict and you've got yourself a hilarious, self-hating Justin Lamb. I mean, discovering that and having major realization was huge. The only word I can use to describe the feeling of finding out at 37 years old that you've never liked yourself, let alone loved yourself for your entire life, and that most of your hobbies, like playing music, center around the validation you received from others because somewhere underneath the surface, if you ever run out of external validations, you'll likely die by your own hand. The feeling I would use to describe that is fucking overwhelming. Even now, I can hardly comprehend it, and even now, it's still so recent, only a year ago, that I tear up when I say those words aloud because they hurt because they're true. I feel so much grief and sadness for that poor small boy, that little kid who just wanted to love himself, but couldn't find any reasons. I feel these feelings now like I did a year ago, and I know in my heart of hearts that if I was still drinking, I would be numb to these feelings. I couldn't have that realization. I wouldn't be able to find and identify the amazing things that I'm capable of. I wouldn't have the power to look at myself in the mirror and without laughing, say the words, I love you. Alcohol numbs you. But with that roadblock out of the way, I did it. I found that realization. 
I brought it up in therapy. I wrote a song about how much I hate myself. I told people about it. And then for the first time, I began to heal from that broken little kid that I was. I began to feel pride in myself and my accomplishments. I began to love myself and I was able to meet myself for the first time in my entire life. As this new person, I met someone I knew from high school. She reached out to me in response to a podcast query I made to her and she revealed to me that she'd been sober for a few months. She opened up to me and I felt like I made my first sober friend, you know, and she made me rethink going to AA meetings. But even on Zoom, I couldn't muster up the courage. And then another friend of mine invited me to join an app called Clubhouse. Clubhouse is this audio-based social media platform that kind of acts as a series of moderated chat rooms and uh, about specific topics. Really amazing, actually. I'm not doing it justice in my description, but... Uh, I was initially invited to join so I could talk about crazy stories from my years in Los Angeles working on America's Next Top Model. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's another podcast. But I soon found, uh, you know, a couple other reasons I would end up utilizing more than anything. I found some podcast rooms that helped me begin to build friend requests up a little bit. And then I found sobriety rooms. Rooms that acted as meetings but were not associated with 12-step programs. They were just a bunch of people who were sober. Some for 24 hours, some for two years, some for 20 years, but a lot for less than a year. A lot of them had been forced to come face to face with their drinking because of the pandemic. I'd sit in the audience and listen in these rooms and listen to people share. And I could relate to some shares more than others, but I also found myself sometimes wanting to scream out to other people who were feeling alone in some way, knowing that I felt the same. But like many things in life, uh, I felt a sense of imposter syndrome. It's a funny thing. It's a funny, funny thing to feel like an imposter about recovery. It's the danger that comes with comparing your story to others. You know, most people with any sort of alcohol use disorder do this at one time or another before they get sober. They tell themselves that they're not as bad as some other people or they don't drink as much as this other person. Rationalizing chronic drinking by saying that you're better off than someone else. It's pretty typical. Uh, if you're listening to that and you're like, oh, wait, I do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is typical. It is a, it's a red flag that you can find pretty easily. And I didn't know that I would be doing that same thing in recovery though. Feeling like I didn't belong because my struggle wasn't as hard as some other people. Then I finally spoke. I came back the next day and I spoke again. I shared my experiences and found that my own story was helping people uncover theirs. I heard people thank me and tell me that I helped them stay sober yesterday. I found community for the first time in my sobriety. That high school friend that reached out to me that was trying to get me to go to AA meetings, I finally understood why. I knew what she meant. You know, I understood the community piece. I even brought up feeling like an imposter in recovery, and we did an entire room about it. It became the topic because everyone felt that way at some point. I was truly not alone in this journey that I had very stubbornly approached completely by myself. And that sense of community and my vast knowledge of non-alcoholic beers uh, opened up new opportunities for me. I found an entire sober world that I didn't know existed. I discovered the importance of a, a sense of community in these rooms. You know, I found the joy of having people know exactly how you felt in those early days of sobriety. That's a, what a great thing to share you in, you know? Those, those weird struggles at concerts without a drink or the awkward social gatherings or the questions like, oh, why don't you drink, man? Like everyone had stories to tell and wisdom to share and even me, <laughs> you know, to my surprise though, I also found forgiveness. 
And let me let me explain that a little more because that I think is the biggest takeaway I got from all of this. In these rooms, I began to hear from parents. They identified as alcoholics. You know, that's that's also part of the generation. My parents' generation didn't have 900 apps and opportunities. They had the Betty Ford Clinic and AA. And and some of them had kids that wouldn't speak to them because of the shit they pulled when they were drinking. And all of it was way too familiar. My father was an alcoholic. I didn't talk to him for nearly the last decade of his life. A life cut short directly because of his drinking. I used to find AA chips in his closet when I was a kid. I knew he would get sober and go to meetings, but I never had the perspective I was being given now. I was sitting in those same meetings, in those same chairs, and I was listening to other parents talk about how terrible they feel and how frustrated they feel. It was as if I was sitting there listening to my dad share about his life, hearing things from his perspective, hearing the struggle and the sadness and the frustration of not having a relationship with his sons. It broke my heart. But the empathy I was able to develop has now helped me to begin the long road of forgiveness. I've spent the last six years since his death wondering if I will ever find that forgiveness. After someone dies, you know, it all rests on you. They're not going to be able to apologize. You can't tell them what they did wrong or how they hurt you. You can literally only forgive them. And now for the first time ever, I'm able to do that, or at least start to do that. It's coming in pieces and waves, but it's still coming. And I am forever grateful to be able to have that. And I would not be able to feel this way or have these tears or discover this awesome person that I am without removing alcohol from the equation. My name's Justin and I am complete. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please, if you ever want to talk, if you're ever curious, Uh, Do not hesitate to reach out by any means. I'm around. Thanks so much. Mm